Inspired by the adventures of our nurses, therapists, and techs, A Beer with Atlas is the only healthcare traveling, craft beer drinking podcast. Each week, we'll open a few beers, talk about the brewery and the style of beer, and then dive into some research curated specifically for each episode. In the end, we hope each one sounds like a conversation you'd have with your friends while enjoying a few cold ones. Welcome to another episode of A Beer with Atlas. I'm Rich. I'm Brian. Okay, Brian's not here. Uh, Brian's not here because I wanted to do a best of. Uh, we, because of uh, quarantine and, and staying home, it's been difficult to record lately. So uh, I thought I would do a top five best Brian stories uh, from the uh, the episodes that we've done so far. One of the things that uh, I didn't anticipate when we started doing this was uh, the the level of knowledge and uh, fun that Brian would bring to the podcast. I thought we would just get some beers and open them and drink them and talk about them and then move on. Brian brought a whole different level to uh, what I wanted to do, something I did not anticipate that has turned into something awesome that I really, really look forward to. Uh, the the When I say that we just talk about, before we start recording, we just talk about the beer, like what beer it is. So this is a pale ale or, or whatever from Greeley, Colorado or whatever, or Traveler from New Mexico sent us this beer. That's really all we talk about. And then Brian, send, Brian comes up with uh, the research based on that. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to go through my top five best Brian stories. I figured I would uh, open a can of my of my favorite beer, uh, Cross Train Fairy Nectar, and uh, sit here and talk through my top five most fun beers, most fun stories uh, about beer. That, uh, that Brian, or about the area that Brian has uh, brought to us during, uh, during our time doing this podcast. So here we go. Number five, uh, episode 33, Weldworks Juicy Bits. Uh, we, I don't even know how we got here. It must have been, we were talking about bringing a bunch of beers back from Colorado. Uh, and uh, we got to talking about like bootlegging and um, using CB radios like in Smokey and the Bandit. And so we talked about like, uh, what our CB handles would be. Best of Brian, number five. So if you're coming from Wisconsin and you're bringing us a bunch of spotted cow, be careful. Yeah, you Maybe. know, hire somebody to drive a second car with you or mm-hmm. something, you know, a getaway vehicle, something like that. Or like in Smoking the Bandit, you you have a lookout. Yep. Right? Yep. You, you got to watch out for the for the fuzz. You got to look out for the Smokies. Mm-hmm. And then get a CB radio. Yep. And then just have fun with that, too, I suppose. I think so. Can they still make CB radios? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. I think so. Can we put a podcast on the CB radio? I, uh, I don't think so. I think we it's just more, hold it up. You just, you just have to hold it to the microphone or to the speaker. and yeah. So this is totally off-tangent, but kind of close because it ends up uh, tying back to Colorado. The, the thing that I always think about uh, when I think of CB radios, mm-hmm. and it's not truck driving, which makes is strange, right? It is strange. It's the shining. 
Oh, yeah. It's The Shining. Yeah. Because they have one in that room, and it's the only way they can get information out. Yes. And Wendy's asking on there, what's the weather like up there, mm-hmm. you know? And that's their only link to the outside world. What was that? What was Scatman Crothers? What was his name in the movie? What was his his oh. real name was Scatman Crothers. Yeah, which is an amazing name. He was yes. the voice of Hong Kong Fooey. Did you know that? The I did cartoon? not. No. Yeah, he was the voice of that for the what, one season or whatever they made for that. Uh, let me think here. I got to think about it, Mister. Because he could shine too, right? That was he his was, thing. Yeah, he's the one that taught Danny all about it. How to shine? Oh my goodness, I can't think of it off the top of my head. I'll have to ask. I'll ask the Google machine here. We'll, yeah, it'll. I don't know, but that's what I think of when I think of CB radios is Colorado, and here we are, Scat- Greeley, Colorado. Scatman, Carruthers. I'm sure this is. I I hope you cut this part out. That part that we don't know what we're talking about. And we'll be like, yeah, we just was... all of a sudden know, like, oh, uh, did you mean Scarman Scratchers? No, nope. Okay. nope, nope. Thanks, Google. Thanks, good job. We're not quite there yet. So, so could we have if we had CB radios? Could we have like handles? You have to have a handle. Oh, you have to have a handle, right? Yeah, because you got to be like, hey, Bony Bear, this mm-hmm. is uh, this is Hop Toad down the road, and <laughs> ten Smokies on your tail. You got to have that whole lingo. I see. Yeah. Yeah, man. So my dad had a CB radio back in the day, and I oh. I, I remember his his uh, handle. Oh, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. So he he collected railroad memorabilia for a long, long time. Okay. So and so his CB handle was Rusty Nail. Rusty Nail. Rusty Nail. Also a drink, isn't it? A Rusty Nail? I don't know. It might be. I'm what pretty you, sure it's a drink. What are you laughing at, Hobo Pork Chop over there? What are you... <laughs> yeah. Dolan Michael. Yeah. Oh, now we're using the middle name. Woo-hoo! Yes. Wow. Hobo Pork Rusty Chop. Nail. Only if, you, only if you reach back into some older podcasts where you get that Yeah, otherwise that you're... Yeah. Yep, he was the Rusty pretty. Nail. Rusty Nail. I'm pretty sure that's a drink. Um, you know what mine would be? Hmm. I'd probably go Hop Father. Hmm. I feel like that's a good one. That would be a great one. Yeah. I don't even know what mine would be. I don't know. I, mean, I may I may just keep the rusty nail just to, just as an yeah, homage. Just, to yeah, bring dad. it on down. Yeah, bring maybe. it down. Yeah, maybe. Dolan, what's yours? Hobo pork chop. <laughs> Hobo pork chop. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> it's a mouthful, though. That's a lot. It is. A, yeah. It's worth lot. it. It'd be totally worth it. All right. Well, so there you go. If you're on a CB, those are our hands. <laughs> Call into us. Yeah, yeah, find us on there. Exactly. Wow. Number four, uh, episode 44, Arkansas IPAs. So our friends, this is one of the fun uh, little side things that happened with the beer podcast. As much as our travelers have sent us beers from all over the country or brought us beers from all over the country to try, some of the most uh, awesome, rare, fun, different beers have come from our traveling healthcare professionals, bringing them to us because they enjoy listening to the podcast. Uh, this was sent to us by a competitor, which is super fun. Uh, Caleb English is uh, the CFO at TRS Healthcare, has sent us beers twice now. Uh, the first time, he he sent us a couple IPAs, and one of them was called Slaughter Pen. I thought that was an odd name. So Brian figured out where that name came from, and it turned into, why is there so much mountain biking or, uh, yeah, off-road, what do you call it? Uh, off-road biking? See, I'm, I, I embarrassed myself multiple times during that episode not knowing uh, biking terms. And I'm sure they just laughed at us down there because I know they listened to it. Uh, and I appreciate that. Uh, but my, mountain biking slang terms uh, and went through those. I thought there was a lot of fun in there. I think Dolan especially enjoyed those. <laughs> 
Best of Brian, number four. There's a brewery that makes Lupulin. Um, mm. They make a bunch of IPAs. I'm skipping my... I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. Okay. But one of the beers they have is called I'm Gonna Send It Anyway. Oh. I was like, what the heck? I don't know what that means. No. Dolan, do you know what that means? I think it's a, a play on, on that famous YouTube video. Uh, the guy in the snowmobile. Yeah, the snowmobiler guy. Snowmobile. I'm uh, just going to send it. Just going to send Larry it. Larry the Enticer. There you go. Yeah. So I was like, well, what does that mean? And it's a term used in that sort of thing, mountain biking. Basically, it's like you have to commit 100%. That's what it means. Like that's, you can't second guess this, or you're going to get broken. That's Larry the Enticer there when he's go. jumping like yeah. snowbanks and stuff yeah. in the snowmobiles. Same thing with mountain bikers. That's the thing they say. They're going to get the big jump. They're yeah. going to get major air. They got to send it. You got to send it. They're just so, going to send it. Have you seen Larry the Enticer? Mm-hmm. Have you seen? Yeah. It? Yep. With yep. The, what's it? The 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 any like that with his yes. when he's like hey, yes. yeah. I don't even want to. I don't even want to. I'm glad the, it's the, the, the audio symbol. only. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You don't want to see that. <laughs> Do yourself a favor and and, and uh, go to YouTube and look up Larry the Enticer. Yeah, you will not be disappointed. Uh, so what I wanted to do was I went through and I picked out some mountain bike slang terms. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit them to you guys and then you let me know what you think. But first one I came up with and these are somewhat in order uh, is a bail. So bailing is just jumping off before you fall and mm. get broken. Mm-hmm. Um, a booter. A booter. A booter. It's a large jump that requires commitment. Oh. So that's when you're going to send it, you're going to send it to do a booter. It's not like what you put your beer in, like the boot. Not like that. Like not, we're not going to do no, a couple booters. DOS boot. Um, When you were talking about your target bike, that's a BSO. BSO. Yeah, that's a bike-shaped object. <laughs> so that's a cheap bike. <laughs> if you take that off into the woods, you ain't coming back out. So BSO right. is that. Okay. Uh, when you had a clean run, that means you did not crash. Huh? Right. So you, you, you ran clean. Uh, a dab. I know Dolan's doing this all the time. Okay. Uh, but he's 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 doing a different kind. Yeah. This is when you take your foot off the pedal of the bike to put your foot down on the ground so you don't crash. Oh. That's called dabbing. Aren't your feet like? Aren't you strapped into that thing? Sometimes you can be. Yeah. Uh, that's more for road race biking. Mm. Uh, this one you want to be able to get off sometimes your oh. feet you're gonna need your you want to bail yes you need to bail there sometimes uh flow is just the trail nirvana oh. i saw it described as so it's just who set up the the turns and the jumps and the bumps and all that stuff that's if it's flow. good flow that's a, that's what you want to ride oh, okay a huck uh it's doing a large jump without thinking of the consequences <laughs> so you just gotta huck it man you just if it's a big jump you can't think. You can't get in your head. You just got to huck it. You just got to huck. Okay. Uh, LBS. Okay. Local bike shop. Uh, so uh-huh. if, you're, uh-huh. if you're going to your LBS, that's what that means. Okay. Uh, loose. Oh, man. I was, those guys were riding loose. Okay. That means riding on the edge of control. They're just almost on the edge. They're teetering. They're, they're going so crazy. Yeah. But they're in control just at the very last second. Okay. That's they, riding loose. They don't need to bail then. Mm. They don't. They might need to. But they're riding loose. They're under control, barely. Just send it. Just send it. <laughs> Pinned. Penned? Pinned. P-I-N-N-E-D. Okay. That's riding very fast. Uh-huh. Oh. Which is what you want to do. Like, you want to pinned. Like yeah. you're pinned like pinned a needle. speedometer. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Uh, roost. You do not want to get roosted. <laughs> Let me guess. 
This is getting stuck in a tree. <laughs> That'd be great if it was. No. <laughs> That's when somebody's riding in front of you and you're taking the curve and they kick out a bunch of dirt and mud all over and mm. it gets all over you. You got roosted. You got roosted. Uh, a tabletop. That's kind of what it sounds like. It's just a flat layer of ground on a jump. So you like you get up on it and you pedal on it and then you jump off of it. Oh. So it's like a ramp up. And then it's a flat land, and then you jump off to something else. That's called a tabletop. Okay. A lot of those are built into the to get you more speed. So you'll go up, you'll go straight, and then you jump off, and you're already you're going downhill again. Mm-hmm. It's just a way to get faster. Uh, a taco. This sounds right up my alley. It's Taco Tuesday, right? Yeah, yeah. This is when you jump and you bent the shit out of your wheel. And it looks oh, like a taco. Taco. Yeah. Oh, then you're man. done. You're done for the day. These these are a little too California for me, right? I well, mean, that's they're kind of like surf slang. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, but obviously they're different. But that's okay. the same kind of mentality. It's the same sort of dudes, sure, doing that stuff and gals, but just in a different area, you know. Huh. Uh, skinny. Okay. This is a wooden beam about six inches wide okay. that's up off the ground that you ride on. So no, I, I would have to bail. And you're going fast. You would yeah. have to bail. Yeah. Uh, when you're riding granny, that's something Dolan does. <laughs> you got the lowest gear of your bike. That's the that's granny? That's the lowest, yeah. That's the granny. You're running granny there. And I still have to bail. You probably would have to bail. <laughs> After dabbing. Uh, loam. I think that's how you pronounce this. L-O-A-M. Yeah, loam. Oh, my God. The people that I know that are going to listen to this are going to be like, <laughs> you butchered them. Yes. All right, loam. This is what you want to ride, especially on these things. Okay. This is a mix of sand and clay, dirt, and decomposition that you find in the forest. Okay. It's very grippy for the bikes, but it doesn't kick up dust and dirt. Mm. So it's clean to ride, and it's fast to ride, and it grabs on your, your wheel, your tire. Okay. So you're not as likely to, to bail. Bail. Mm-hmm. Or biff or whatever. Sure. I'd say biff. And then we talked about send it. We already did that mm-hmm. one. Um, was that the last one I got? I think that's it. But those are some of the terms. Okay, number three. Episode 64. Uh, Ohio Beers, our, our friend, friend of the show, and our personal friend, Thomas Piper, who is a traveling healthcare professional, uh, has sent us multiple, multiple beers over the years, brought us beers. Uh, the times he's come through Omaha, I remember the first time he came, his truck was loaded with beer, and we could not be more appreciative. He brought us a bunch of beers, and there was one that from Ohio, from where he's from, that had like a Rorschach uh, on the front, like the Rorschach test. And so, of course, in typical Brian fashion, uh, he came up with uh, research behind the Rorschach test. So not only did we get a fun medical tie-in to this one, but um, we got to drink some really, really good IPAs as well. Best of Brian, number three. Don't want you know what this is called? W- which part? Oh, the, the face? scary face. Uh-uh. Oh, no. Is that a Rorschach? It sure is. All right. Um, Boom. That's our research. Rorschach. Rorschach test. Okay. I was like, okay, that's exactly what that was when I saw it online. And uh, so, yeah, so I did some research on that. And that's why it's, that's why you thought it was like, pronounced that way. Like blot. Inkblot Ink Exactly yeah. what it is. Okay. So basically what it is, the Rorschach test is your perception of ink blots, And then what you say that you see mm-hmm. is then analyzed. And there's like a scale, a graded scale interpretation of 
what you say that you saw. So you saw a scary face in there, right? So oh, if we yeah. were doing this as a test, yep. then that would equate to a certain score. And then they add up your score after you would do about 10 of these in a row. Okay. And then they figure out basically either your personality mm. or what basically some sort of deep psychological stuff with you by what you see in something that has no actual answer. Okay. There is no answer. I actually had to take one of these tests once. Really? For I, what? I did. Uh, to adopt Maddox. To, we had, to, we had hmm. to see a psychologist, I would say. Okay. I assume psychologist. Yeah, yeah, because... Yeah, because they don't prescribe medicine, so that would be a psychologist. Okay, yeah. there we go. So we had to see a psychologist. Um, did just go over like a, a, a profile, mm-hmm. right? Each one of us talked to him or whatever. Then we took these little tests with the circles, and then we had to do the ink plot test or oh. whatever. I have the results somewhere. I've always been kind of scared. They still let us adopt a child from overseas, yeah, right? So, so it been, couldn't yeah. have been that bad. Like this guy's going to be like a serial red killer. flags everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> right. no, yeah. Well, here's here's how it works, I guess, kind of. And I did a little bit of research on just the person that who did it. So you're supposed to, what they're used for now is detect underlying thought disorders. So that's what they were doing with you. Okay. Just to make sure that you were, mm, you that were I sane and, and sure. stable. Okay. It's named after a Swiss psychologist named Herman Rorschach. Hmm. And he created this in 1921. So it's been around about 100 years. Okay. Which is kind of scary to think that they're still using this test, mm-hmm. a psychology test, a hundred years later, with all the advancements in science and stuff, this is still being used. There must be something to it, I guess. There must be, maybe, because here's what we don't know. Okay. What he really intended it for, because he died about six months after this was created. Get out. So he made this. He had all this like information set up. Okay, here's the scoring. Here's how you grade it. Mm-hmm. And then he never really got to see it work, because he was dead. Oh. He'd, he'd done a bunch of research ahead of time to like figure out how the scores were going to be and what categories they were supposed to fall under, mm-hmm. but he never got to really see it in practice. Interesting. He used it basically 400 people total, 300 of which were like from an institution or asylum, hospital, someone oh, that actually had some problems. Okay. And then there was 100 control patients, so people that didn't have any issues, and he had about, oh, I think it was 400 of these ink blots that he made. Okay. And whoa, whoa, whoa. 400 like different ink blots. Oh. And then he showed them to all the people. And if, if he could get within, if, if most people saw the same thing or certain things, mm-hmm. then that would get pushed to a different pile. And he ended up whittled it down all the way to 10. Okay. So the official test is 10 ink blots mm-hmm. and they're all this, every 10 are the same, right? So he started out with this huge number, showed it to a lot of people. Then most people saw the same images mm-hmm. in these, and that's how it whittled it out. So either a bat or a scary face. Something like that, right? Okay. right. Um, then once he died, other people like within his area, uh, expertise field, picked up this research and this test, and they started advancing it. So we don't really know what his actual intention was it for. Hmm. What he designed it for was to basically test for schizophrenia, which they didn't really even have a name for back then. Okay. But now it's used as just a general personality test, which is why you had to take it for mm-hmm. your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what his intention was versus how it's used is already different. And there's people that argue, well, this thing really shouldn't be used or valid anymore mm. because it's already going against the person that created it, what he created it for. Right? Understood, yeah. So it's been adapted by people that weren't involved with the initial research. A hundred years later, it's still being used. So I'm not schizophrenic. So that that's a bonus. So you, yeah, you passed that test. Yeah, okay. Um, there are keep your comments to yourself, Dylan. <laughs> there are um, 
I guess these are the subgroups, right? Mm-hmm. So people see, depending on the ink blot, mm-hmm. and this one falls right square away. You hit the first one, human. Sure. So people will see faces or people mm-hmm. doing things. Oh. There's nature elements. Mm-hmm. So you might see a tree or a flower or a butterfly. There's animals, mammals specifically. Um, there's abstract things. Sometimes people will just be like, oh, it's like looks like three dots on a, in a line. Um, then there were things like fire. Some people would say they see fire. Okay. Clothing was an option. And then x-ray. So it was like, oh, it looks like an x-ray of a hand or it looks like the uh, inside of something. Sure, sure. So whatever you see, mm-hmm. when we all looked at the same thing and you saw a face and let's mm-hmm. say he saw a tree and I saw a penguin, mm-hmm. then those scores all are added in a different sort of way. They all have different values. Interesting. And those are all added up. And then the other part is used is what part of the actual card you used to say what you saw. Oh. Versus like the whole piece. Was mm-hmm. it just a little bit of the thing? Like where you saw in the ink blot also is graded and scored. So it's a twofold test. So for example, on the can, it's the scary part. It's the middle. It looks like the scary face. Mm-hmm. All the rest of it is just, so this would be a different score than maybe a on the sides, if you say, like, I see England or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, the scary face in the middle, and then somebody could say, oh, that scary face is coming out of a cloud of smoke or from yeah, whatever you wanna, the bush. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you get scores mm-hmm. in that way, too. So okay. location and what you actually mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. Um, this test was and continues to be huge in Japan. Like, they base a lot of stuff on this test really? in Japan. Yeah. Like, they've really... I don't know if it's... I, I think that's a whole different show, but okay. um, there's a lot of things different about psychology in Japan than versus what's the United States. Um, and they tend to use this all the time, like even in job interviews and stuff yep. before you get hired. In the 60s, this was used basically as a way to out people, like with their sexuality. Really? They had a whole subgroup of things that would be like, okay, what do you see? And if they, depending on what they said... They would trace all those things and add them up and then be like, okay, you're, you're latently homosexual or whatever. Really? And that was a big thing in the 60s, wow. which, another, which is another reason people are against this test. Well, yeah. And then it's still now, and like you said, it probably, I don't know if it was, was it through family court that this went through? It was through a, so it was through the adoption agency. Okay. So family, yes. Yeah, because there, a lot of them still are being court ordered. Um, juveniles have it a lot of times used for diagnostic purposes, basically. So like, okay, what sort of population should we put you into when you're in the system? Um, And then also things like, okay, you claiming insanity or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. the court issues these all the time. So that's interesting that you bring it up because my, I remember a story that my, uh, dad told me is he actually had to do the ink block test, uh, to see if he had ADHD when he was younger. Really? Um, and he remembers going into the room with the psychologist or therapist or psychologist probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, they gave him the ink blots and, um, he of course was 13, 12, 13 years old. They're like, what do you see? He's like, ink blot, <laughs> <laughs> ink blot. And they're like, no, you like, what pictures do you see? I don't see any pictures. All I see is spilled ink, right? Yeah. Well, after, like, 20 minutes of this and trying to explain, like, no, you're supposed to, like, just make pictures out of wherever on the on the card. And my dad, of course, 
at that age was not very, I mean, he was getting in a lot of trouble. That's why he was being mm-hmm. diagnosed with sure, ADHD, sure, right? Sure. So um, after about 20 minutes, the psychologist was like, um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with him. He's just a shithead and he needs discipline. <laughs> <laughs> He's just messing with us. Yes. Oh man, that's funny. Yeah, so the test failed there. Yeah. So. Or succeeded one of the two, I guess. Yeah, so, I guess. You know, yeah. We'll, we'll never know because the dude died. Yeah, the Rorschach guy, he is no longer around. If you know Brian Peterson, there's three things that are true. One, he loves his wife and his kid more than anything in the world. Two, he loves beer. And three, he loves music. And I would think maybe he loves music more than beer. So anytime he can, he will tie music back into the podcast to talking about the beer or the area or whatever. Episode number 72, War Elephant, which was a collab between two different breweries uh, that Sheila Bissell, one of our travelers, brought full, brought back from as she was driving back home because she lives here not too far from Omaha in Bellevue, Nebraska. Uh, she bought it at the brewery, brought it back for us. Uh, first collab, I believe, that we had on the show. Anyhow, uh, he tied it back to a... You well, know, you know what? I'm just gonna let you listen because it was it was fascinating. Best of Brian, number two. <laughs> so I was looking I was trying to find out, you know, something uh, a little less on topic for research, mm-hmm. but still tangibly related sure. to some sort of elephant theme. Uh, and then you know me. If I can find a music tie in, I'm yeah. going to. All right. And I did. Okay. And I'm excited for this one. This is like, oh man, this opened uh, a lot of doors of things I didn't know. And I have purposefully saved two browser tabs to send to you guys after this because <laughs> I didn't want you to spoil it. But I was like, I can't lose these things either. Awesome. So um, a pachyderm is a term that you'll hear tied with elephants. It's like a large land animal. Um, so I looked that up because I wanted to see what that was. I remember that from Bugs Bunny days. There you go. Pachyderm. Pachyderm. Mm-hmm. A hippo is a pachyderm. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, anywho, Pachyderm Studios, Cannon Falls, Minnesota. It's a recording mm-hmm. studio. Okay. And I thought, ooh, that's neat. Let me look into that. Which I, is I interesting because East Lake is in Minnesota. Minnesota. So oh. there's our first tie, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 35 miles from the Twin Cities. And their airport, so okay. you could fly in and then be there within about a half an hour. It's a secluded, basically, house studio. So when you go record your album there, you're living in this house. You don't go to the hotel. You don't do whatever. Interesting. You're, you're there for good. You can go into town. There's a town there. Um, oh, It's called Cannon Falls. And Aaron, I was talking to Aaron Daly about it, mm-hmm. and he said he's been through there. Um, now there's about 4,000 people. But when the house was built in the 60s, it was about 1,800. So it's still a small town. Yeah. Um, the console, the recording console that they have there is a NEV, N-E-V-E. And that's an analog recording mm-hmm. console. Um, it's an 8068. And it's the same one that came out of um, Electric Ladyland Studios in New York City, which is Jimi Hendrix's studios. Oh. So Jimi Hendrix's albums were recorded on this console. And when it was up for sale... These people bought it. This is the same console. This is the console. That's legit. Right? Yes. So here's some of the bands that have recorded there in the last, I would say, 10 years. Okay. And then I saved the good ones for later. So Mm. a lot of these are ones like 
kind of local Minnesota acts or bands that I like and follow. Mm -hmm. And then the other ones will be more like, holy shit, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So Trample by Turtles, know them? No. No. They are a bluegrass band. They're probably one of Minnesota's biggest exports right now as far as music across the United States. They play here a lot, and they are super fun if you ever get a chance to see them. They play here in Omaha, like Midwest? I've seen them probably seven times. Trample by Turtles. Trample by Turtles. It's kind of funny, right? Yeah. Because it would be hard to get... Dolan, you familiar with these guys? No, I'm not. I'm not. uh, We discovered this the other day. I'm not very... um, much into the Americana, bluegrass, yeah. folk, as as Brian is. I'm going to work on him. Okay. Um, the guy from the band that's the lead singer and main songwriter has a side project. It's called Dead Man Winter. It's a little more experimental, a little fuzzier guitar. It's a little yeah. harder. Okay. Um, they've recorded there. A band called Golden Smog. Brian Setzer and his orchestra. I know that name. How about Super Chunk? I've heard of Super Chunk. They're from North Carolina. They're yeah. like oh. Merge Records. From the 90s all the way up to now. Super Tramp? No, not Super <laughs> Tramp, thankfully. How about the Breeders? You know about them? Oh, yeah. They were there and recorded in the 90s. Yeah. They might be giants. Oh, yes. I've heard of them. How yeah. about uh, Sone Volt? Sun Volt? Yeah. Yeah, I love those guys. And then this one I wrote down. I follow her. I found her on YouTube a couple years ago. Her name, well, she plays under the name Reina Del Cid. I saw her and uh, another, it was like another duo um, here in Omaha at a coffee shop in downtown Omaha this summer. She just happened to be like there on a tour of Midwest. Hmm. And that was the only time I've ever been to this place. I've never at the been well? Sozo? Yeah, it was, Sozo? Yeah. Love that yeah. place. I'm going there tomorrow. Hmm. It was a th- I, When I got tickets, I was like, where is this place? And my friend John that I went with, he was like, oh, this down. Yeah, I'll show you where it's at. Hmm. So she played there. But she recorded her, al- her most recent album there. Um, now we're going to get to the big ones here. I'm going to tell you this album title. I'll give you a couple seconds and then I'll tell you who it is. Okay. Um, these are probably targeted more for you. Uh, so I'm getting the album title. I got to give you the band yeah. name. Okay. And then if Dolan knows, he can chime in too. Interesting. Right. Uh, Grave, know. Grave Dancers Union. Oh, I know this. I want to say it's not. It's Soul Asylum. You're right. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Um, this one is called Hollywood Town Hall. I'm oh my gosh! You're talking about one of my favorite bands of all time. I know this is the Jayhawks. Yes. Now oh, do you see why I was excited? Get out of here! The Jayhawks recorded here. Um, this album was called Rid of Me. Came out in 1994, I believe. Mm, no. British songstress PJ Harvey. Oh yeah. Um, this one, Throwing Copper. Uh, that would be live. That's right. Also live recorded here. Yeah, Throwing Copper, recorded here. Wow. Um, I don't know this band, but I wrote it down because it was popular, I guess. From Here to Infirmary, Alkaline mm. Trio. Alkaline Trio, yeah. Weren't they a little, they were a little more experimental, I think, maybe at the time. Maybe. The only band that I know from this list is live. How about <laughs> oh this Oh my gosh, one? if you haven't heard the Jayhawks. You gotta need... do that. Okay. Now, here's the thing. It is maybe, a... Jayhawks are a little more bluegrassy, folksy, kind of. They're country adjacent, almost. Almost. Okay. Um, Panic Stations. No. Mm-hmm. Motion City Soundtrack. That's mm. a Jamie band. That's an emo. Mm. She'll be all over that one. Okay. Emo night. Yeah. Uh, how about this one? Fontenelle. That's no. the name of our forest here. Mm-hmm. Also name of a 90s album by Babes in Toyland. Oh, yeah. So some of the Riot Girls. Wasn't Babes in Toyland, aren't they more, I would say that was more hair metal? Maybe? It's probably on the edge. Okay. It's coming out of the late 80s to 90s. Hair metal adjacent. Here is the biggest. Here's the biggest <laughs> one. There you go. I would say the Jayhawks are the biggest, but that's no. okay. In okay. freaking utero. 
Get out of here. Nirvana's last really? studio album. What? So Steve Albini, their producer from Chicago, was brought up and did the sessions at this house. What? So that was part of the thing. I was like, holy cow, I cannot believe this. Um, there are The article I was reading showed that there was, basically they said there was one picture from the studio that they knew of, of Nirvana being there. Yeah. And I found it. So I'm going to send it to you guys after this. Yeah. Because it's really cool. It's got Francis in it. The ba- She's a little baby. And she's a baby, yeah. And they're all sitting in front of this fireplace. And uh, then there's another picture I found, too. That's pretty funny. So Dave, Chris, and and and, uh, mm-hmm. and Kurt. And then Steve Albini's in the photo, too. Weird. Um, so and then I'm just going to give you just a little story of the house and the history of it, too. Because I thought it was really cool. But yeah. it's also in the articles I'll send you guys. But basically, this guy, um, Don Mensing wanted to his like dream was to build this house in the middle of a forest by a creek and uh, used an architect to do that in like 1962. So it was very modern tech technology back then mm-hmm. design. Um, so it's like mid-century modern now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's 50 some years ago. Lived in the house for almost 30 years. When he died, um, a engineer from Minneapolis, a sound engineer, bought the house, turned it into a studio, like I guess early 90s. Okay. Um, used it for a while. After the kind of grunge boom, mm-hmm. kind of they tapered off. They didn't book sessions. They didn't do as okay. well, and uh, went into foreclosure. Oh. Then it went into like ruin, and then finally another guy bought the house. I think his name. Let me see here. Oh, the guy that bought the studio the first time. His name was Jim Nickel, and he was in a band called Mean Old Elephant. So hence the Pachyderm Studios, I guess. Oh. And when they built the studio, because the studio wasn't there at the house. It was just the house. He built the house, had an area for a studio. He built the studio. And if you look at it from the air, the studio looks like an elephant's head. There's like two ears and then a long section and then it looks like a trunk. Huh. So that's the reason for the name. Um, and then that guy died and then it went into ruin. The current owners bought it um, and then started booking bands to just record because the yeah. house was trashed they had like squatters living in it and a tree had fallen through the roof and like it was trashed and it took almost four years for him to get it back to what it was yeah but the other reason it took so long was because they used period um piece so like 60s materials so the okay. carpet the flooring the wall tiles the everything light fixtures it's all from the 60s wow. and it looks like it the picture you're going to see from the Nirvana days mm-hmm. is exactly what it looks like right now versus what it looked like in the 60s. It's the no. same, but it took so long. So now if you go there and record, you can stay in the house. It took them about, yeah, about four years before they could do that. Um, one of the articles I read said, like, the people in the town know when someone's in recording because there'll be somebody will show up and be sitting in your bar stool because <laughs> the, so, the town's so small, you have your own spot. So when someone shows up that's not from town... They don't know. Like just John Mayer's chilling yeah. at the bar yep. or whatever. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, you're not from here. You're sitting in my you're right. sitting in my seat. So that's what I know about Pachyderm Studios. Okay, number one. And Dolan called this ahead of time when I started talking about this. Um, we, I can't even remember the episode, but shortly after, uh, it was probably I don't know, episode 38, 39, we started, I started ending the show like this. 
Uh, Brian, in episode number 37, which was Dad Beers, right around uh, Father's Day 2019, we did an episode of just Dad Beers, Schlitz and Bush and, and you know, beers like Grain Belt, I believe, was on there. Anyhow, uh, we Brian told one of a uh, story about his dad where uh, his dad, uh, well, I'm going to let him tell the story, but there's a, ra- there's a way that we end every single podcast now. Um, and I was inspired by this because, uh, you know, our dads both like beer and, uh, and, and both uh, had an influence on our lives. And so this was, uh, this was something that uh, has stuck with Brian through the years. And then I incorporated it into the ending of each podcast now. Best of Brian, number one. One last dad story. Give me, give me one last dad story oh, for Let's him. see. Um, probably the one that sticks out in my mind that is kind of related to beer, but it's also more a testament to me and my dad and like my whole trajectory of life. Mm-hmm. Um, my band used to practice in this big old warehouse where one, two of the guys worked, and we could set up our gear and leave it all plugged in which is amazing, as Dolan knows. You don't have to tear it down. It was set up place. We just mm-hmm. moved, and even the drum kit, we just carried it down and set it up. We didn't have to tear it down. It was amazing. We went there and practiced, and it was way on the other side of Lincoln, and my dad lived in Bennett at the time, so it was like a 45-minute drive for him. And every once in a while, he'd get a wild hair, and he would come and watch us practice. <laughs> and he would bring his cooler, and he'd have his beers, and we would have our beers in there, and we would, you know, just have fun. Yeah. And it was, you know, playing... Rolling Stones and Beatles covers and, you know, our original stuff and just loud as, as possible out in the middle of industrial in, Nebraska, in Lincoln. Sure. So one night there's a huge thunderstorm and he's like, all right, I got to go. It's raining real hard. I'm going to head out of here. And uh, it's raining so hard. And uh, where he had to go to get towards back to where he lived, um, there was a bridge that went, was a train track. So the train was above you had to go underneath to get past the train, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that was notorious for flooding. So if it rained at all, it was full of water. Yep. So he got that far, and it was, like, so flooded. <laughs> and I think his car, his truck died. Um, so he came back. He walked back, and uh, he had his cooler of beer. He was soaking wet. He had a Budweiser floppy, like, you know, those, you know, like late 90s floppy hats? The floppy hats, yeah. And it had the frogs on it, the mm-hmm. Budweiser frogs. He had that hat on, and he was like a drowned cat. He was soaked. And he walks in, he's like, Well, I ain't going anywhere. Let's have another beer. <laughs> so we had another beer and played some more music. And um, yeah, I mean, that was just him to a T, just always looking for fun and listening to music and, you know, laughing and just trying to have a good time wherever he was at so that's an awesome that's story. uh that's what i think about when i think i am all right so that's it that's uh that's my top five brian stories from the time that we started this podcast all the way through now um if you have a favorite one please leave it in the comments below i know we'd love to read those um and i i absolutely want to encourage brian along the way to come up with the craziest wackiest fun best uh research along the way because it drives me to get uh just uh, you know different beers to see what he comes up with not only get different beers but then try different beers too we have so much fun trying different styles and different uh 
different types of beers. Uh, and I have a lot of fun introducing Dolan to new beers, too. Um, there's There's been some stuff. He's come around on IPAs. Was not there in the beginning. Has really come around on IPAs so far. So uh, I think that's one of the things that we talk about during the podcast is just try one. And then try another. And then try another. And then probably get yourself an Uber. But you get the picture, right? Try, try, try. There's so many different good beers, flavors, styles out there. You never know what you're going to get. Uh, We have been shocked and surprised. I thought I knew exactly what was coming as soon as I opened that can and I take that first drink and it was nothing like I thought it was going to be. And that's the fun of drinking beers, especially in this environment with Brian and Dolan on the little black tricorder over there. If you've ever, uh, you ever wondered about it, it's about the, it's, if, you, if you watch Star Trek, it looks like a tricorder. And if you haven't watched Star Trek, nah, you don't know what that means. It maybe looks like a walkie-talkie, maybe. So those are my fun Brian stories. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode. Trip down memory lane as much as I have. Again, if you have tried a fun beer somewhere, please bring it to us. Uh, we would be happy to talk about it on the show and uh, and review it and rate it and see if we like it too. Uh, has there been a beer that we haven't liked yet? No, we liked all beers. Some beers more than others, but we'll pretty much drink anything. Well, Brian, we're not going anywhere for a while. Let's have another beer. Thank you for listening to A Beer with Atlas. Special thanks to our brand team for producing the show. Each episode of A Beer with Atlas is powered by Atlas Medstaff, an industry leader in travel healthcare staffing.